with me. So um, it's actually, it's funny. When I first started, my brother, he said, hey, tell me about your senior pastor. What, what's he like? And I paused and I said, well, uh, you, know, you know the actor Kevin Costner? And he said, yeah. And I said, okay, you know, you know dancing, Dances with Wolves, Yellowstone, you know that guy. Yeah, yeah, I know. Okay, so if he became a pastor, that's Jason. That's Jason. Am, am, I, am I right? Maybe, maybe not. Jason, if you're watching online, please don't fire me. Um, I, think, I think that we can go somewhere special today. I want to take you to a place of scripture that I've been living in for the past few weeks. And the, the title of this message is The Secret Sauce to Amazing Faith. The Secret Sauce to amazing faith. Can you see that I was a little bit hungry when I wrote this message, the secret sauce? And, and just all cards on the table, the sauce is not barbecue sauce, but it is close. It is close. The secret sauce to amazing faith. In fact, I want you to look for the word amazing because it's gonna appear a few different times in our text today and in a few different ways, but that word amazing is important. In fact, turn to somebody, tell them you look amazing today. You look amazing today. Everybody's sitting next to a stranger. You're welcome. You're welcome. Hey, we're in for a real treat today. We're going to be, if you're a note taker, we're going to be in Mark chapter 6. Mark chapter 6. If you're not a note taker, you can still go to heaven probably, um, but you're, you, you know, your seats won't be as good as ours, but you can still go. Um, we're in for a treat. So jumping into Mark chapter 6, if you would stand with me in honor of the reading of God's word today. Mark chapter 6, starting at verse 1, Jesus left there and went to his hometown accompanied by his disciples. And when the Sabbath came, he began to teach in the synagogue. And many who heard him were amazed. Where did this man get these things, they asked? What's this wisdom that has been given him? What are these remarkable miracles that he is performing? Isn't this the carpenter? Isn't this Mary's son, the brother of James, Joseph, Judas, and Simon? Aren't his sisters here with us? And they took offense at him. Jesus said to them, a prophet is not without honor except in his own town, among his relatives, and in his own home. He could not do any miracles there except lay his hands on a few sick people and heal them. And he was amazed at their lack of faith. Heavenly Father, I call on you to do the thing that only you can do. Father, I can study and I can prepare, but I can only preach to a certain level unless you inhabit this message. So Father, I pray that you would take it and that you would uniquely apply it to each and every individual here today, Father, and that you would custom tailor this message to be exactly what their soul needs to hear. Father, we yearn for you. We love you. Most of all, we need you. This all belongs to you, and we trust that you would breathe life into it. In Jesus' name, Amen. You can be seated. As you're seated, I want you to put your imagination caps on for just a second, and I want you to picture somebody in your mind. I want you to picture a certain individual in your mind, and this person can be younger or older, doesn't matter, but this person that I want you to picture is this person that has just, I mean, out of this world, unshakable, sturdy faith in God. This is, this is a person, and now when I'm talking about that, I'm not talking about, you know, the person that pulls into the Walmart parking lot and, God, I'd love a good parking spot, and then the first one backs out, you know, I'm not, that's not the kind of faith, that I'm, that's the kind of person you kind of just want to punch a little bit, but 
the kind of faith that I'm talking about is the sturdiness in the cancer diagnosis and, and the person who is experiencing all kinds of difficulties and they're saving up all year long and they're gonna take this trick and, trip and finally have this breathing room with their family and then the boss catches them and says, hey, we gotta let you go. This isn't working anymore. And you see them walk through that and you see them be sturdy and their feet are on solid ground. That person that turns on the news when we probably shouldn't be turning on the news. And they see, they see wars and rumors of wars and calamities and oh my gosh, it's Israel and it's the apocalypse and oh, are we gonna be drafted and war and all that? And they, they're sturdy and they're set and they're confident and they're not shaken. That person, whoever came to mind just now, that's who I want you to picture as we journey through this text. And now, now I want you to be really honest. I'm gonna put a, a, a line graph in front of you of numbers one through 10. If you're watching online and you can't see this, this is numbers one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten. And so one is gonna be absolutely no faith and 10 over here, that's gonna be Jesus, okay? So we're not 10, we're not that. I'm not that, you're not that. And honestly, if we're, if it, it, you know, number nine, that's a missionary somewhere in South Africa living in a hut, okay? With just reckless abandon for faith. So if you're, if you're like an eight-ish, you know, unless the Cowboys lose and then you're a seven, you know, but um, if you're somewhere in there, here's how you know. You look back at the past seven days, just this past week, just take the past week for example. Look back and I want you to pretend that everything that you prayed in this past week, every single prayer in an instant, God answered with an emphatic yes. All came true, all answered. If that happened, would the world change or would your world change? If that happened and every answer came true, every prayer that you prayed, would, would your neighbor come to a saving faith in Jesus? Would a child finally be adopted into that family and, and have that restoration with that family and parents they've longed for for so long? And would that family in your life group, that marriage, would it finally be reconciled? Would it be healed? Or if all your prayers were answered, would your food be blessed, right? Or, or maybe you do pray for more than that. Maybe your prayer life does extend beyond your kitchen table, but it's you're praying and you say, God, I, I, please just bless me and keep me and secure me and help me because that's as far as I can see, right? And I've been there. I've been there. I get it. I'm with you. I understand. But here's what's interesting about our text today, and here's what we're going to find, is that Jesus was amazed at two different places in Scripture, and both of those places were with regard to someone's faith. The first one that we just read about was their lack of faith. The next one is their amazing faith. The first place Jesus is amazed at those who don't believe when there's every reason that they should. And the second place is somebody who doesn't believe when it's not expected that they would. And so as we uncover that and unpack that and live in that tension a little bit more, the first thing I want to do is just kind of give a working definition for this word that we're talking about so much because I feel like it's used a lot in our culture, the word amazing, right? Like we see something, oh my gosh, that's amazing. Here's the definition. To surprise someone greatly, to fill with astonishment, Synonyms for this word, to stun, stagger, flabbergast, to stop someone in their tracks, to leave open mouth, to take someone's breath away. Can you imagine giving Jesus 
the Son of God, that kind of pause. But it happens twice in Scripture that we're going to see today. So if you can bear with me just to backtrack a little bit, I want to cover something really quickly in Mark chapter 6 that we just read because Jesus is going back to his hometown and something special happens here. Mark chapter 6 verse 1 says, Jesus left there and went to his hometown accompanied by his disciples. What do we know? We know that Jesus is not going back home to sleep on Mary's couch because things are not going well. That's not what's happening here. In fact, what's happening is Jesus is backing out and stepping away at the pinnacle of his ministry. He's got his 12 disciples. In fact, the text says they're with him, and he's now leaving and going back to his hometown and, and stepping into this environment, and it's, he's leaving all of this success on the table. Verse 2, it says, When the Sabbath came, he began to teach in the synagogue, and many who heard him were what? Amazed. That's our word, and it's going to happen again here, so look for it. Where did this man get these things, they asked. What's this wisdom that has been given to him? What are these remarkable miracles that he is performing? It's going pretty good, right? Wow, that sounds good. Write that down. Man, that's amazing. But then something shifts in the tone of the text. And that's where we're going to spend a little bit of time is the tension between their amazement in the first verse and their annoyance in the third verse. What's the third verse say? Isn't this the carpenter? Isn't this Mary's son, the brother of James, Joseph, Judas, and Simon? Aren't his sisters here with us? And they took offense at him. And Jesus said, a prophet is not without honor except in his own town, among his relatives, and in his own home. And you might think that the next part of this text gets it wrong. Like you might think that the translators that went from Greek to English messed up here because it actually says, and Jesus could not do any miracles there. When I came into contact with that verse for the first time, and even for the 50th time, I struggled. What in the world is that? The Son of God, how is there some? This is a guy who's healing people, who's raising people from the dead, who will eventually, he himself, be raised from the dead for the foundation of salvation for the world, and there's something that he can't do. What in the world is going on? And so I dug and I dug, and I read, and I asked questions, and what I came to find out, I'll save you the trip, is that full transparency, we will never limit the presence of God, but our attitudes can limit us from experiencing the presence of God. Do you, do you, are you with me? We, he was literally there bumping shoulders with them. They couldn't limit that. The presence was there, but they were stuck. And their attitudes limited them from experiencing the presence of God, bumping shoulders with Jesus, quoting the Old Testament the whole way. And they missed him, which illustrates to you and to me that there is a way to know God clearly and visibly and still miss him. As verse 6 says, he was amazed at their lack of faith. If you take out your phone, and you open Google Maps or Apple Maps or whatever it is that you use to get around when you don't know how to get around, and you type in the word Nazareth, it's not actually gonna take you across the sea to catch a plane to go to Nazareth. It is still an existing city in Israel, but what it's gonna take you to is Nazareth, Texas. 
And I thought that was so interesting that you can live in Texas for as long as you want to and every single day you will hear a new city or a new town in Texas because it's just so dang big. But if you look at that, you, you will see that there's a place called Nazareth, Texas. And honestly, what I think when I come to Nazareth in scripture is I don't think that Nazareth is just a place. I think that Nazareth is a perspective. I think it's a perspective because we see in Luke's iteration of this story, not Mark's iteration, but when Luke is retelling this in his gospel, he uses the word offended, that they were offended at Jesus, but the Greek word that he uses is the word scandalon, which means trapped, trapped. In fact, there's a two-hour drive from Nazareth to the Dead Sea. And I know they didn't have cars at that time. They had donkeys and camels and horses and all that. But if they had cars, they could hop in one. Two hours later, they would be at the Dead Sea. And here's what's so interesting about the Dead Sea is that there are many different inlets to the Dead Sea, but there is no outlet. So consequently, it is 10 times saltier than regular seawater And you might have guessed the reason why it's called the Dead Sea is because there is nothing alive in it. There is no fish, there is no animals, nothing can live in that kind of environment and I think that that resonates so well and is such a visible picture of what is happening with these people, that they have synagogues, that they know all of the things about the Lord and can even clearly, visibly see him, but they're trapped. And if there's one thing that I could orchestrate for the Bible Belt type of faith, it is that we can become so trapped in taking what is extraordinary and making it ordinary and and something so unbelievable and so remarkable and make it common. In fact, so many churches, even churches in Palestine, Texas, exist much more so as country clubs catering to their members rather than they do a place and a light on mission. Acknowledging that we meet in a city for a reason, that we are meant to be a vibrant life for this world, to be a light in the darker in the darkness, and as dark as it gets, the light shines even more. But we don't do that so often. We can become trapped. We can say, no, 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 no. hey, worship, worship has to be this way, and preaching has to be this way, and the, the sanctuary has to look this way. But what did Paul say in 1 Corinthians chapter nine? Paul said, I have become all things to all people so that by all possible means, I might save some. That I'm gonna do everything that I possibly can. I'm gonna leverage everything that I have. I'm gonna be so open-handed so that I can reach those who are far from God. I'm gonna do everything short of sin to reach them because that is what I am called to do. It's interesting, the first story is those who don't believe when there's every reason that they should But this next story is those who do believe when it's not expected that they would. In Matthew chapter eight, you can either turn there or it'll be on the screen behind me. I wanna take you to a second glimpse of a certain type of thing that amazes Jesus. When Jesus had entered Capernaum, starting at verse five, a centurion came to him asking for help. Lord, he said, my servant lies at home paralyzed, suffering terribly. You can hear the weeping In this man's voice, Jesus said to him, shall I come and heal him? The centurion replied, Lord, I do not deserve to have you come under my roof, but just say the word and my servant will be healed. For I myself am a man under authority with soldiers under me. I tell this one go and he goes and that one come 
And he comes, and I say to my servant, do this, and he does it. And at face value, when we're reading the centurion saying these things to Jesus, sounds a little bit arrogant. It's like, whoa, man, hey, we get it, calm down. Because, in fact, centurion stands for century. Centuria is Latin for a hundred. This man had a hundred men under his command, and he could say, go do this, and he would put their lives on the line. That was the kind of power that he had in his words. But what I don't think is happening here is that he is being arrogant. I think what this man is trying to do is stress the power of words from someone in authority. And he understands, yeah, I've got a little bit of authority. I've got some tangible authority here on earth. But God, Jesus, you have so much more. All you have to do is say the word. What's John 1 say? In the beginning was the word. And the word was with God and the word was God. In the very beginning, the way that God spoke creation into existence, he did so audibly that there is power in words. That wasn't lost on this man. And so he tells that to Jesus. And what does Jesus say? Verse 10. When Jesus heard this, he was what? Amazed. And he said to those following him, Truly, I tell you, I have not found anyone in Israel with such great faith. Now, hold on. This man that made Jesus marvel, was not a disciple, did no miracles, planted no churches. His spiritual resume was unimpressive at best. He had no religious title. This man was just a dude doing what he was supposed to do, and the man with the greatest faith in Israel was simply a guy who believed that Jesus could do what he said he could do, and then he lived like it's true. Did you catch that? He simply believed that Jesus could do what he said he would do, and then he lived like it was true. He acted on it. This is still the faith, I believe, that makes Jesus marvel. When we see this, we come into this understanding that amazing faith isn't about pulling yourself up by your bootstraps and I just got to believe more. I've got to have more faith, more faith, more. No, it's not about that. It's not about what you can bring to the table at all. It's about who or what your faith is in and how strong that thing is that leads you to this out of this world faith if we could just get out of our way and stop making the extraordinary common in our lives and in our hearts. It's being able to say, hey, there's a lot of things that I don't know, but there's one thing that I can't deny. The one thing that I can't deny is that 2,000 years ago, there was a Jewish carpenter and he was different. And he said things and he did things differently and all of a sudden those things started coming true and 2,000 years later, that is true in my own heart as well. And that is the faith that grounds me in times of calamity and grounds me in times when I'm scared and I'm watching the news and I'm on the edge of my seat and I don't know what tomorrow's gonna look like, but I trust him because Jesus will do what he said he would do and so I'm gonna live like it's true. Well, what did he say? What did he say he would do? Never will I leave you. Never will I forsake you. I will be with you always, even to the end of the earth. That amazing things have been done in my ministry, Jesus said, but even more so in yours, because I'm going to send you a helper, and he's going to be with you. He's going to equip you. He's going to anoint you. 
And you can walk in that and take a step after a step. You see, I'm absolutely sure that Jesus still stands amazed at the faith of North America. The question that we need to be asking is not whether or not he's amazed. The question we need to be asking is, is he amazed at our lack of faith or is he amazed at our amazing faith and who he is and what he's about? You see, I'm convinced that Palestine, Texas does not need another church. Let's be honest. You can stand on a street corner, pick up a rock, and you might hit two of them, right? Like, we don't need another church. What Palestine, Texas needs, I'm convinced, is a different kind of church, one that has a different kind of faith. And so if you are looking at this and you're saying, man, I'm saved, I believe the blood of Jesus covers me, I'm with you, and I'm, that's what I'm about, but I don't feel that I've been taking these faith-filled steps in my life, I wanna give them to you. I just wanna make it plain and simple. I'll let me give some to you so that you can begin to say, okay, I'm gonna take a step in faith because what does the, Hebrew, the author of Hebrews say? That it is impossible to please God without faith. So what's some steps that we, living in East Texas, in the smack dab middle of the Bible Belt, can take to step away from the ordinary and into the extraordinary. Well, let me give you some. A big faith-filled step that you can take is some of you, in taking this step, will begin to serve in a church. Maybe it's our church, maybe it's another church. But you will serve in a church. Really, commit for the very first time, and you will see what it is like to go from attending to being rooted in. And some of you, maybe even all of you, are so gifted and you're so talented, and God has expanded your capacities at an incredible rate that is unique to you, but was never given for just you. It was given for way more than you, and you will not find satisfaction in keeping it bottled up. But when you step into what God has given you, oh my gosh, and you look back and you say, that is where, that is where my faith came alive. What's another faith-filled step that you can take? You are going to, maybe for the very first time, invite someone to church. You're going to bring somebody to church with you. What do we know? We know that you have been called, equipped, gifted, and anointed to reach people far from God. So who are you bringing with you? You hear that and you say, man, they're going to think I'm weird. They already think you're weird. It's okay. All right? Take the step. What's another step that we can take? Some of you will join a life group for the very first time. You know, man, people are hearing about my weaknesses, people are hearing about my insecurities. Hey, I'm not about that. And yet you wonder, why do I feel so alone in my faith? It's because you don't have people praying over you. You don't have people walking with you out of sin that can lay dormant on your heart for years and years and years and years and years. And these people are calling you toward the cross. Hey, leave it there. Let's walk back together, shoulder to shoulder, toward the face of Jesus. You're gonna join a group. You're gonna serve, you're gonna invite, you're gonna join a group. Lastly, some of you are going to do something that makes no rational sense. Some of you are going to give for the very first time financially. Whew, that's weird. Hey, man, I'd, and especially if you're not a believer, if you're just visiting here for the first time, if you're here because somebody promised you lunch afterwards and you're just grinning and bearing through it, you're like, man, in no way would I ever give to a church. You haven't done anything to me. I don't even know where the money's going. Like, what ministries are you doing? What is, I can't even see where my money, what that looks like until, until 
you realize that 90% of your income with God's blessing is worth infinitely more than 100% without it. And that when you take that faith-filled step into that uncomfortable space, into that inviting space, into that giving and serving space, you look at that and you say, that is when my faith really, truly came alive because Jesus did things in my life and I believe that he would say things and he would do things and then I'm gonna get up and I'm gonna act and I'm gonna live like it's true. That could be you today. All of a sudden, we start to flourish. You see, we're not a mega church, but we do have a mega vision. And that mega vision is that we would be hope-filled, big thinking, bet-it-all, faith-filled risk-takers, that we will not insult God with small living or safe praying. That's what we're called to do. Let that be today. You know, it's interesting raising a five-year-old. It convinces you that you're insane. Not really. No, not insane. It convinces you what Jesus meant by a childlike faith, not a childish faith. There's a difference but a childlike faith. You see, when I'm leading my daughter, who's five years old, to something, she's not even old enough to question and doubt whether or not this is gonna be good for her. She just trusts. She knows that I love her, and out of that love, she allows me to lead her. That's revealing of how my shepherd looks at me, that I have been innately designed to become attached to my caregiver just like a sheep to a shepherd. I believe that's what he is calling us to, what he's calling those trapped in a Bible Belt faith to, to experience something completely new. It's gonna be uncomfortable, but it's worth it. Let me pray for you. Heavenly Father, thank you for your faithfulness. Thank you that you have invited us in for your plan of restoration for your plan of salvation, and Father, that there is no plan B. Father, I pray that we would just be faithful to use what you've given us, the gifts, the talents, that we would step out, and that we would grow in our faith and our trust in you. Thank you for loving us. Father, I pray that we would remember that all of this belongs to you, and we can trust you with it. Everything in our head is in your hands. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. 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 Hey, if you want to come forward this morning, maybe you want to bring somebody with you and you just want to pray. You want to get some time with God or maybe you want to seek out one of our elders here on the front row. Pray with them. I want to invite you to do so now as we stand and as we worship.